Hello and welcome to StarkCast. I'm Joe Stark, and today I'm talking with my friend from the Leftover Army, Phil Deshawn. What's up, Phil? Hey, Joe. How's it going? Hey, I'm really excited to have you on the podcast, dude. Oh, I'm I'm stoked too. We we set this up a, a while ago, so I've been I've been trying to like prep for it, making sure I'm I'm in the right mindset for it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and insofar as that, I actually picked up a six pack of fat tire on my way back from the movies earlier, and so I'm having a a very refreshing beer. I just I just had a bunch of pizza, so like I'm ready to just kind of sit and not do anything but yak. So it's it's a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> what kind of pizza do you have? Oh, um, Red Baron. <laughs> Red <laughs> Baron. <laughs> it's the best. It is the best frozen pizza on the market. I will say that much. I'm I very, love it. I'm a big fan. I love it. Apparently, and and I don't know how old the statistic is, but I read it somewhere, so it must be true. But I had read that Iowa was the, like the capital for frozen pizza consumption. Like maybe Des Moines specifically. Oh, weird. No, I've never heard that one. <laughs> no I'm, no I'm, idea. <laughs> yeah, no idea. That, uh. Google it, people, because I don't care to. <laughs> yeah, now I'm curious. What what do they got going on? Uh, do they just not have the pizza parlor places? It opens up a lot of questions. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I live uh, like right near Cedar Rapids, uh, which is um, well, probably about like 20 minutes north of... Uh, of I-80, which most people who've been in Iowa have been on I-80 as they've been cutting through the state <laughs> at the highest maximum allowed speed. Um, uh, but we've got some really decent pizza here that that I think is kind of shockingly good for, you know, Iowa. Oh, wow. Yeah, I'm, I'm located in Louisville, Kentucky. That's where I live. Uh, not super known for our pizza. Um, we are kind of a foodie town, but admittedly in the past couple of years i don't go out and do much of anything so like <laughs> and things come and go like being a foodie town you get trendy stuff that comes and then unfortunately goes you know and just constantly moving through and we got this place called tomasos that does a detroit style crust that i think is just absolutely magical it's it's almost like a pan pizza but they do the uh the cheese like all the way up to the edge of the pan and so that when it bakes that cheese like caramelizes against that pan Ooh. that steel pan and so it's you get like this caramelized layer of cheese that's right on top of the crust and it is really freaking magical um but it's definitely not thin crust so it's probably something that like Rebecca Daling would would call casserole probably rightly so it's it's fairly <laughs> thick for a slice <laughs> you're not going to get a slice and fold it in half and eat it on the go <laughs> yeah, no, you're right. The deep dish ones, they are casserole adjacent more so sometimes. Uh, the the crust that they have is just really, really good, though. I think it's got like, it's almost got like a little bit of a cornmeal bit to it as well. That just gives it some really nice body. Uh, now I want pizza, dude. <laughs> well, I, I'm sorry. I, 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 it wasn't delivery. It also wasn't DiGiorno. So they're, you know, like... <laughs> Yeah, I'm advertising for Red Baron here. They they don't have a snappy slogan. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dude, I um I got off work today and went and saw that new horror movie that just dropped Barbarian. Ooh, yeah, I've heard really good things. How is that? I really liked it a lot. Um uh, I'm going to be on the the next episode of PCL 
and doing I, I'm pretty sure we're doing like a full on spoiler review of it. So um definitely check that out <laughs> because oh, I, I'd imagine we're gonna have a lot to talk about with that one. Uh but yeah, but just quick spoiler free thoughts on it was um I was super intrigued by the trailer. Uh the the trailer for this this movie, the movie's Barbarian. And for those of you who have not seen the trailer, it's this person showing up at a at like an Airbnb and somebody's already there and it's kind of a, this awkward situation where then they kind of agree to both stay the night and then this girl wakes up in the middle of the night and her door's open. She's creeped out and she eventually in the trailer, it leads down to the cellar. She finds a hidden door in the wall and opens it up and then finds another hidden door with like a stair, a staircase just descending down through like rough hewn stone, like into darkness with somebody like screaming for help. And like right away, I was like, this looks fucking terrifying because I don't know why, but I always have a recurring dream that I'm in a weird, strange house that, like, I find a secret area to, and I find, like, tunnels that are super creepy under the house. And so seeing that in a movie trailer, I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, this is literally from my recurring nightmare. And uh, the the movie lived up to it. It was, it was really fucking great. It kept me on the edge of my seat. I, I liked the way that they broke down the story and with what the fuck is going on in those tunnels under that house is terrifying. I mean, it, you know, it, that sound it, like the trailer looked really cool to me. I've heard a lot of great things. The, um, my most recent addition to my horror film collection showed up today, uh, via Amazon. And, um, th- just to give everybody out there listening, kind of an insight into the movies I buy. Cause I buy trash. This is titled, <laughs> um, bloody muscle bodybuilder in hell. It is also known as the Japanese Evil Dead. So oh, nice. It is a 62-minute long, um, unauthorized uh, remake of Evil Dead from Japan. So it it looks just atrociously wonderful. So I, I haven't gotten <laughs> to watch it. It's the first time it's been available in the United States, like from an actual company, not like a bootleg or something like that. So I saw it. It's like, yeah, this is a this is a day one buy. We're getting this thing. So we're going to we're going to pop in some J-horror later and see how that turns out. (laughs) There's there's certain genres of that 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 I can really appreciate a lot. Like, for instance, like right now I'm wearing a a Psycho Gorman shirt. And oh, yeah, Psycho Gorman's great. I fucking love that movie. It was I mean, what's funny, too, is that we it got like glowing reviews on pop culture leftovers. And then I remember I I don't remember who it was, but somebody posted on the leftover army page and they're like, I watched Psycho Gorman. I didn't like it. I feel like I was lied to. <laughs> it's it's one of those movies that I think it's fair to say like it's not for everybody. Well, no, I mean, but you know, I, it's not. It's it's a weird amalgamation of a bunch of it's it's horror, it's um the Power Rangers or Super Sentai, whichever you want to call uh-huh. it, you know, like it's it's kind of all those wonderful things mixed together and it's funny and it's silly and hokey and gross. And yeah, I could see people being like, you know what? This wasn't for me. And there's, you know, nobody's lying. It's a great movie. I think it's, I think it's fun as hell, but you know, yeah, I loved it. (laughs) I mean, you know, I could see people being on, on the, you know, on the fence about liking it or even just straight out hating it. I'm probably not going to invite you over to my house. If you hated psycho Gorman. That's, you know, we're probably not going to be the bestest of best friends, but, 
Yeah, I mean, so, I'm not going to judge you on that. That's not, you know, like. <laughs> yeah, so so low, low budget horror can be a lot of fun. Uh, you know, if the script is there and if it's the, the, you know, sometimes also if it's the right amount of self-aware, it can be really, really fun. Um, there was, uh, oh, there was this really wild one I watched. I think it was on Amazon Prime called Lamageddon. Oh my gosh. I know, I know that movie. I, cause I, I, I know the poster for it because there, there was a series of movies like Velocipaster. Yes. I love that one. <laughs> Velocipaster's a hoot. The one about the killer pinata. Oh, I haven't seen that one yet. It, it, I mean, and again, I don't want to like, I don't think it's really, you're able to oversell or even undersell movies with these types of titles. You go in expecting like the worst movies ever made and, <laughs> and you'll still find something enjoyable in them because <laughs> they are, they are trash. Yeah. But, but, but it's like, it's, it's kind of, yeah. They're, and it's, you know. yeah, I don't know. Cause yeah, calling it trash, like it almost feels mean, but it's like, no, I'm, I'm like saying it in an endearing way. It's, no, it's, it, yeah. Roger Corman made an entire career like out of kind of making like trash movies. <laughs> and I'm, and this isn't an insult. I love Roger Corman. He's, he's one of like probably the most influential filmmakers in for, for me is like a, as a person who's enjoys movies, especially horror movies. I mean, I, I can't, I can't shut up about like the importance of the movie uh, in humanoids from the deep or humanoids from the deep humanoids from the deep. Um, and it's just one of my absolute favorite movies. And it is just 80s schlock trash. But it is one of the <laughs> finest schlocky trash movies you'll ever see. So I've never heard of that one. Oh my gosh, it is it is so fun. It is so good. It is just um Oh, it, it has one of the best taglines like in any movie. And like it's like they they came from the ocean to feed and to breed. <laughs> and it's like, it's just like such a great, terrible movie. Cause that sells it all. It's like, Oh, they're, it's going to be full of violence and other horrible things. So. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's cause, um, I don't remember which one it was, but I remember, I had friends back in the day that were watching some some fucked up underground horror movie where a guy had taken a drill and like he he drilled a hole in someone's head and then put a straw in. I was like, oh, I'm out. (laughs) (laughs) I'm fucking out. (laughs) I don't want to watch like there's like I I don't like watching like Saw and Hostel and stuff like that. I can't watch that type of horror. But if, if it doesn't go too graphically gory then then i can get on board with it yeah then i guess humanoids from the deep falls very much into like the creature feature because they're monstrous fishmen coming out of the ocean and i've i've spoken at length on, on a few different podcasts about my love of beach movies that also involve monsters so and yeah you know, humanoids from the deep is probably still one of my favorite monster movies it, it it's just and it is it's just schlocky trash and it's wonderful. It's wonderful, <laughs> sloppy trash. Like, I mean, Doug McClure is in it. Vic Morrow is in it. It's just so damn good. <laughs> <laughs> oh, geez. The, the last bad 80s movie I watched was American Ninja. 
uh, last week because <laughs> because my ge- uh, I had Kova from Scenic Cast on. And he was like, leading up to the episode, he was like, have you ever seen American Ninja? I'm like, if I did, it was long enough ago that I don't really remember it. And then I watched it and I was like, this is a really bad movie. <laughs> oh my gosh, yeah. There, there was like three or four of those, right? Because it was Something kind of like... That. like There's, I think there might be four of them. Is, I, I don't know. Kova talked all about them last week because he, he excitedly talked about them. Because <laughs> it, it was like the era of blood sport and, you know, like like coup d'etat movies and stuff whereas like the martial arts films were coming to america but the coup you know they, yeah, it's like fucking blood sport was the shit yeah you know, I mean, okay blood sport is actually a very fun movie it's it's a <laughs> it's, it again is silly you know it's kind of enter the dragon adjacent sort of but you know oh with not the a tournament thing almost like martial arts tournament there, there you know that's kind of where it falls into yeah, yeah. Um, uh, so anyway, w- like kind of on the subject of horror, I know that you are a screenwriter for horror stuff. Um, I dabble, I think. Yeah, that's, you know. Uh, ha- I'm going to make having- you own that you're a screenwriter. I'm going to make you say it without <laughs> an asterisk in front of it. <laughs> okay, fine. I'm a screenwriter. I, I, lo- I really do love writing short horror films i absolutely love it and um i've found moderate success over the past year kind of doing it like actually sharing my stuff with folks and they've gotten some attention at some festivals and things and that's it, it's it's kind of rewarding because you know they're just the nightmares i have and then i write them down and the things that scare me and really and that's is that usually your inspiration or what that's that's one of your sources of inspiration is a nightmare Oh, not, uh, if if it can actually frighten me, because I'm not the easiest guy to scare. But if I can, if if I have a nightmare that sticks with me, like it, the greatest tool for a writer, especially a writer who's you know, I'm I don't always have the the capacity to sit down and just write page after page after page. Like, thank God for smartphones and the notes feature, like the, right. the notes app, because you can wake up and you can skate like write down just a sentence of whatever the hell was going on in that dream. And it can sit there. And then the next morning you can read it. And sometimes it won't make any sense, but sometimes you got a gem in there and it's like, damn, this is like, there's something to this. And one of the ones I had a lot of success with, it originated as a nightmare. So it, uh, I love that. It, it stuck with me. It stuck with me hard. That's what I was saying. I was thinking when you were mentioning, catacombs under homes and like your your reoccurring nightmare use that you know find 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 what frightens you about it the most and use it well unfortunately it sounds like that the the barbarian movie may have uh from everything i'm hearing they may have knocked it out of the park with that (laughs) well that's definitely a different direction than than the the thing with my nightmare is that it's only ever the feeling like those tunnels are very ominous and the, the light is is very yellow. Like it's almost like torch lit or something. And it's low areas where you almost gotta like bend down and like kind of peek through something where you'd have to like get on your stomach and crawl through and then it'll open up into a bigger area. And so it's just this feeling, this ominous, dreadful feeling that that accompanies those dreams that makes it so scary. I've never actually seen anything or been chased by anything like that in the tunnels. Claustrophobia. Claustrophobia is a fantastic thing to utilize in a movie. Like, um, 
I don't know if you've gotten to see um, Jordan Peele's uh, movie. Nope. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I loved it. it I, I it, it's is the scary. It's the most effective movie I've seen in theaters in probably the past 10 years, 20 years, maybe the um, there. I, I don't want to ruin anything because I really think everybody should sit down and just see that thing going into it completely blind. There is an element of claustrophobia in one scene in it. And I saw it on a huge screen and it was panic inducing in a huge empty, like a, like a big, big empty space theater. You know, like you have your crowd, your audience but uh-huh. the ceiling is really high. It made me panic of how tight and compressed everything felt. So uh, I know it, exactly what scene you're talking yeah, about. And fan, yeah, fantastic movie. Fantastic. <laughs> that scene made me super uncomfortable too. Oh my, oh my gosh. <laughs> You, I've never felt so much horror from something that was like, I know this is a movie, but yeesh, it 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 was effective. Jordan Peele's an effective man. Like making making movies, he he knows the right he he can pull the right strings. I read an article too that he said he's not done with that universe. Like he's going to write another movie that takes place in that. I and I've heard that the first cut of that movie was like four hours long. And I'm very much hoping that we get to see the rest of it because I loved it. I could watch it for another couple hours. I know I could, I, w- I would enjoy the hell out of it. <laughs> yeah. All the characters in it were great. It was really smartly written. Oh my God. I was so, and like, and, and I like coming back to the screenwriting element to it, I walked out of it and felt it's like, geez, I'm never going to write anything that good. ever. <laughs> I was like, and it, I mean, the movie really stuck with me it, for for days and days after. It was just like that. The movie changed me. It was it was very. It was a very strange experience to really feel altered by something like that, especially as like a piece of fiction, you know, but yeah, effective I, fiction. I think as an artist, though, it's important to to be exposed to other art like that, especially stuff that you look at and you immediately place it on a pinnacle that you think you're not capable of, because um, I've always been a big believer that steel sharpens steel. And so you need to have, you know, you need to be surrounded by really good stuff to be able to, it'll help you push up to achieve those heights. You know, <laughs> Sur- Surrounded by really good stuff. And I just look at my DVD shelf and like, there's a <laughs> lot of Roger Corman crap on there. <laughs> I, I thrive on bad movies. I really do. I, I'm, lifelong fan of mystery science theater so oh yes you know, i so. i just went and saw my first uh uh riff tracks event in the in the theater a couple weeks ago or oh a few weeks was ago. it the um, swamp thing returned yes <laughs> yeah i wasn't i, I took to my 14 year old to it i wasn't able to actually see that in theaters but i've watched swamp thing returns by itself plenty <laughs> 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 I'm wondering if it was the first Swamp Thing movie I watched a bunch when I was a kid, because going into that, I was like, okay, there's a Swamp Thing movie that I watched a bunch in the 80s when I was a kid, but I don't remember what it was or really anything about it. I just remember that there was a Swamp Thing movie that I would watch. Oh, it's got to be the first one. It's got to be the Wes Craven one. That The Return of Swamp Thing is a sequel to that. Yeah, and and it didn't, there was nothing in that movie where I was like, oh, I remember this. And I'm usually really good at that. Oh, yeah, no, Wes Craven's Swamp Thing is a very faithful, kind of well-done comic book movie that I, it doesn't get the credit it really deserves. <laughs> Shit, I, I mean, should look it up. <laughs> I mean, it's, you know, like, it it's it's a solid movie. The sequel's kind of comedic. 
Yeah, big time. It and, was it was well it's kind of well a, suited to the riff tracks. Yeah, it's, it's really it's really a goofy ass movie, but <laughs> the the USA Network's television series, a Swamp Thing, it was actually rather serious and kind of good. Like I I remember seeing it a lot when I was younger, and it's a chunk of the cast from the movie is the same. I think the actor playing Swamp Thing was the same guy in that one, and it's just held with a kind of a different attitude. It has like a different feeling watching it. It's a little darker, a little it's, grittier. It's rated PG. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> 1982. Oh yeah. The, yeah. The, the, the West Craven one, it, it was P well PG back then. I yeah. Mean, that was, yeah. that was pre, um, pre gremlins, right? Probably. <laughs> yeah. It had to have been. Yeah. Pre gremlins, pre temple of doom. So yeah. That's on Tubi with ads. <laughs> I actually think I watched it on Tubi not long ago. That's awesome. <laughs> it, was, it was a palate cleanser after watching uh, Swamp Thing Returns on Tubi. <laughs> so, <laughs> like, oh, like, oh, Wes Craven, take me away. <laughs> Adrian Barbeau's in it. I mean, it's, you know, it's a solid movie. Solid, solid 80s comic book flick not many of those too so no there's really not too many of them i mean I'm, you know it's it's one i don't think it's remembered very like often but it was a there's a big jump like making a movie on of all the comic book properties swamp thing of all things you know yeah yeah i don't know i'll, I'll have to rewatch it i'm i'm definitely intrigued now I mean, yeah it's Especially now that we're living in the golden age of of comic book movies, it'll be fun to go back and watch one that's so old. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, it's you know, it's only predated by like Superman, and <laughs> I mean, like, re- like genuinely, like uh, what other ones were really that old? Like, yeah, you know, like um, Jeff Richard Donner's Superman's the only one I can really think of that kind of predates that. I did, and I rewatched that within the last year. I love that movie. It's a it's a beautifully shot movie. It's you know, I I I'm not a huge Superman fan. Like comic books, all of it, but the Superman I've always enjoyed is the optimistic Superman, and I really think you know, Donner kind of hit it. Like he kind of hit that on the head with like you know, Superman oh, yeah. the hero, Superman the you know, the Boy Scout. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I I like well I like Superman like where he's the good guy where he's kind of you know. Yeah, he's a little bit of a Mary Sue, but you know what? He knows he's the best of us, but he's not going to hold it against us. You know, <laughs> <laughs> like I, I really know. like All Star Superman. That's that's kind of the Superman I really enjoy a lot. You know, <laughs> yeah, I I liked Man of Steel, but I I totally agree with everybody who says like I don't like that this is a Superman who's dark and brooding like Bruce Wayne. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I, I get that. Yeah, we got enough of those. <laughs> we, need some, we need some positive superheroes. Everyone's family is like everyone's parents are dead. Everyone's, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and you know, but like I guess that's the push for them to be become more, you know, become better. It's not, you know, not how it always works, but. But no, yeah, the Swamp Thing movie—that's it's a fun one. I would recommend you and anybody else who hasn't seen the Swamp Thing movie, the first one, go check it out again. It's worth revisiting. <laughs> it's on Tubi with ads. <laughs> yeah, it's free. 
you just gotta sit to some advertisements for like, I don't know. I mean, like, Hello Fresh is that the ads that they play on Tubi? <laughs> like, God, it's been a while since I watched something on Tubi, but um, <laughs> was it last weekend? I was watching a show called Salvage Marines on Crackle, and so I was dealing with the Crackle ads, which is just brutal. Um, but that's one of those shows where it's like low budget, but but with a a, fa- a pretty engaging plot. That that even though you know it's not something you're watching for the awesome effects. And stuff like that. But it was like this really great dystopian future in the space where it's like rival corporations arguing over planets and basically treating populations like they're slave labor. Hmm. I've, I've actually never heard of that. Salvage Marines. Huh? Yeah. Yeah. It was I'll really great. Ca- Casper Van Dien. <laughs> yeah, dude. <laughs> it's fucking great. <laughs> no. Casper Ka- Van Dien. That's a. Um... You know what? That's that will fall into like the trash cinemas for me a, a little bit, I bet. So I will totally check. That. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say if you lo- if you liked Starship Troopers, you'll probably love Salvage Marines. Oh yeah, yeah. Starship Troopers, man. That's I mean, it delivers on everything that you know that movie promises to do. <laughs> it sure just, did. You know, <laughs> murder giant great. bugs. <laughs> that movie is fucking excellent. Oh, Paul Verhoeven, he, he, he's got, you know, he has his style and, you know, God love him for it because like he, he's the reason RoboCop was RoboCop. So, you know, <laughs> I just bought that on digital not too long ago because I've been meaning to rewatch it and just haven't had the time to do it yet. But oh, I'm so looking forward to it. I got it on deck all ready to go. I, I, RoboCop is actually probably the oldest Criterion Collection DVD I own. It's probably, I, I mean, it's like number 20-something or, or one of those. So, you know, I've had RoboCop for a long time. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and it's it, it's it's just one of my favorites. Um, I was very fortunate uh, for for uh, my, my graduate school. I, I attended the University of Miami, and I was in film production. That was my degree I pursued. But... I was able to study in the Los Angeles at the UCLA for a summer. And we had these just fantastic classes where they would bring in kind of just this insane amount of celebrities to talk to our class. And one of the first ones was Kurtwood Smith, who uh, plays Clarence and Robocop. He also played Red Foreman on that 70s show. More people probably recognize him for that, I would say. Oh, okay. But, but, Everyone else in the class is like, oh, it's the guy from that 70s show. And it's like, the fuck are you guys thinking? It's Clarence from Robocop. What is wrong with you guys? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, and the best scene that Clarence has in Robocop, he spits a mouthful of blood all over this table of papers after Robocop brings him in and he's like, book him and walks off. And, 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 um, Kurtwood Smith, his line is, he goes, he spits all that blood and goes, I want my fucking phone call. And n- none of that was scripted. And it's just like the coolest moment because Kurtwood Smith just came out and just did it. And Paul Verhoeven applauded after the take. And they just moved on because he spat blood all over the scene. They were going to have to reset everything. And like, right? so they weren't going to do it again. <laughs> <laughs> we have to replace every fucking paper on that desk, dude. <laughs> and it, it was just like, he, like, that was the moment, like, the real moment, like, 
I really, I really love the movie RoboCop too. I re- I'm a pretty big Paul Verhoeven fan. I enjoy his stuff a lot, and that was like probably the closest personal experience I've had with a Paul Verhoeven film, or at least people from a Paul Verhoeven film. And <laughs> that's awesome. It's, it's it's one of the coolest stories I got. It's one of the best ones because you know he uh, and just getting to see um get getting to see Kurtwood Smith like really kind of glow when he was talking about RoboCop was was wonderful because of course he's been in tons of stuff but he's like it was really obvious that one was important to him and he enjoyed it so you know it's really getting it was really cool getting to see an actor kind of reflect on something and be like you know what i was damn good in that movie that's a damn good movie (laughs) (laughs) that's excellent It it was really cool it was really really cool it's gotta be cool too to do something fairly young and early in your career and then later in your career, you can look back on it and say, wow, that's like a cult classic now. Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, you know, and, and I was part of that. And that's that that's pretty amazing. Any I mean, that's when and like the, the small amount of experience I have, you know, writing screenplays and those kind of that's all I hope for. Oh, you really only need to make one good one is really how I feel about it, you know. You know, if you could if you could touch somebody like some way, scare them make them laugh, whatever it is, you know, if you can, if you can hit it once, you know, that's good enough. That's always what I'm striving for. It's like, you know, right now I'm very into horror stuff, so I really want to scare people, but you know, (laughs) excellent. How long have you been writing for? Um, I didn't really start back up until about a year and a half, two years ago. Um, after graduate school and film school, I, um, and when, when that it was you're writing script a semester, a few scripts a semester, you were shooting stuff like that was your your homework was make movies and true super trial by fire. But so much fun, so much fun, because I mean, that's why you were there. You wanted to make movies. So they just threw you to the wolves. And I was shooting on Super 16 film. I was I rarely shot on digital because they were providing the film and they were processing it. And developing it. So I was like, yeah, please pay, give me hundreds of dollars of film and pay hundreds of dollars to get it, uh, to get it developed for me. That's great. And, but I took an, a hiatus kind of from it because you, you get out of school and of course there's loans and trying to find a career and just dealing with reality a little bit. And it's just kind of puts you, kind of puts you in your place a little bit. It's like, yeah, I can't. I can't move out to California. I don't want to move out to California. You even realize those kinds of things. And so I found my career. I'm a graphic designer now, and I love it. I have a lot of fun. I get to be creative on a daily basis. And at night, I can write horror movies. And that's, you know, it's kind of like a different version of the dream, but I'm still getting to live that dream. Yeah, I get it. You know, because as you grow up, you start to you start to learn certain realities of the world. And, you know, if you are chasing a dream and your dream involves art, there's, there's the phrase starving artist for a reason. Yeah. (laughs) And so it, it, at a certain point you've got to have a day job and, and the trick is to not let that day job burn you out to the point that you can't then chase that art in the free time that you have. Oh, exactly. And it's one of the, elements of like that kind of how the modern world is, is you can make movies anywhere. You can write movies anywhere. 
And, you know, there's there's no definitive way to. And in California, it's so much harder to just live out there. You know, it's it's I have friends of mine who are who are doing it. And I, I feel I feel for them because so often they are they're really struggling to just make make their way out there. Oh, I bet. I mean, it's but but I've in the, the other beautiful thing. They are friends of mine. So they ask for help. I help them. I, I read scripts. I give notes. I was fortunate enough to fly out um, to 2021. I, I worked as an assistant director for a buddy of mine. His name Brody Gassar. He was making an independent feature. And I got to be the assistant director on it. So, oh, nice. You know, it was, I mean, you know, it was a it was a shoestring budget, but it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of work, but you know, we 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 did we finished the job. We got it done. So you know, like movie got made. It, it's currently kind of going through like the film circuit right now. You know, looking for distribution, those kind of things. But we actually had a product of all the efforts, all the work, and it's done. And it was a feature, so <laughs> that's something to be really proud of. Yeah, I mean, and and I, a day job helped me be able to do that because there were people on the set, on crew, like the crew and things that they were paid to be there, and they're like always talking to me about it. And I was like, well, I'm this is kind of my vacation. <laughs> <Just> like, <laughs> I, I took I took two weeks off to fly out to California. I paid my way there, you know, and like I was like, I'm just here to help. Because a buddy of mine needs help, and I'm going to help him. So nice, that's, yeah. That's that's really noble of you. No. <laughs> I mean, he he's he's kind of like he's he was Brody shot all of my graduate school films. He was the cinematographer for me, and I. So many people you run into, like they won't look fondly on the films they made in 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 like high school, uh, college, grad school, like in their past. I was very fortunate. We had a really talented cat, like really talented class of people. And our movies were pretty darn good. <laughs> and I'm really proud of the stuff we put out. So excellent. You know, I look, I look back on all of them quite fondly. So it was just, we had really good relationships there, everybody. we're all very much in touch with each other. You know, the second I finish something and I want a second set of eyes on it, just to give me opinions of the story, the characters, whatever I send them out to them. They do the same for me. And we've been doing that for over a decade. I was more of a script, um, like, not doctor. I was kind of just like a script reader for a few years for Brody. Anytime he had something, I'd read it. So That's awesome. It's really great to have that that network of support around you. Because, you know, like, as a writer, just getting people to read your stuff and give you feedback on it is, you know, beyond, it's really good. Oh, my God, yes. No, it's like, <laughs> I, won't, I won't give people notes where it's really good. <laughs> unless it is truly really good but even then it's like oh but this comma is out of place on page two that's not how you spell this word for the time period this phrase doesn't make sense i've done you know like, <laughs> really kind of helped some folks out with stuff mm-hmm. yeah it's kind of it's kind of fun to do because you can't you're you're like no man is an island you know you need sometimes you need second opinions on things yeah i totally agree you know, that's and it's just how it is. Like um, the, the the short script I wrote, it's titled Everyone. It, it's been in uh, 20 plus film festivals, like screenwriting competitions. It's been selected It won five different ones from all over the world now, which is kind of cool. Nice. Um, it went through numerous drafts and 
honestly, a, a buddy of mine out in California, he and I are in the earliest stages of kind of like pre-production to get the thing made. And he fell in love with it when he read it. So, you know, and it's, it's only gotten better since I've been able to have people read it. Oh, that's so, great. Yeah. It, it's an uphill battle to get anything made though. So, you know, we're holding out hope, but <laughs> that's what I've always heard. <laughs> you know, it's just, it's just how it is. It is what it is because you don't want to use your own money. And, to really make this one shine, it's not going to be the cheapest thing. We know that going into it. So, well, shit. I hope it gets made, dude. Oh man, it's, it's, I, I'm so so trying. <laughs> <laughs> I know what you mean about like going back and looking at earlier work as an artist, and then like kind of being like, oh no. <laughs> um my my book that I have out, I become death. I wrote that like I think I finished it in like 2009, and then. It sat for a while, and then I published it in digital, and then eventually got it up to audiobook. And so when it was an audiobook, I had to go through and you know read the entire thing and record it, and then listen to myself reading it during the editing process and stuff. And it's like, wow, I'm I'm in a much different place as a, a writer, you know, than I, than I was in 2009 when I wrote this. And then I had to like resist the urge to change shit. It's like, no, it's in print. Just fucking leave it alone. <laughs> Well, I mean, and, and you wrote a whole book like that's an accomplishment. You wrote a whole darn book. Shoot. I mean, I'm doing short horror scripts. I mean, I'm I'm trying to figure out making things longer. But for the time being, it's like the short stuff is where I still am right now. And I'm getting pretty good at the short stuff. I'm going to have to eventually start writing full like full feature length things. But a whole book seems just like such a daunting insurmountable task to me so that's a huge accomplishment <laughs> the the one that i'm working on now is the one that that's the daunting one because it's it's i've been like thinking of the idea for so long and it's a, it's a fantasy epic and so it's just such a big story that the i i've got the first three books of it planned out and i've gotten i think like forty thousand words into book one so far and it's maybe maybe two thirds of the way done. So it's and, and and like that one, if I start thinking of the whole thing, it almost makes me panicky. Cause it's like, it's taking so long to write this first book and there's still two other behind it. And then more story behind that. If I choose to keep going, <laughs> that, that, that's when you just take it page by page. It, and Sometimes that's what it is. Take it page by page. I, um, I'm working on a, another short. It's, it's a, it's a longer short. And, it's very it's very near and dear to me, and I didn't realize it in writing it that I started to really care for the characters. Um, I kind of hit a wall with it, and I've taken a break from writing it because I know what happens on the next page, and I don't want to do it to them. <laughs> oh, <laughs> the, like the the killing your darlings thing. It's yeah, because it's a it's a it's a tough one. It's a <laughs> what's about to happen is not it's not friendly. It's not good. You know, yeah, I'm, I'm going to wreck a, I'm going to wreck a bloodline in the next page. So it's like, <laughs> man, <laughs> I, I wrote a really horrible backstory for a character one time. And like, I was like really into it and feeling it. And then it was, you know, hey, supper's ready. And so I'm out there eating and I'm trying to not think about it and I can't not think about it. And so I'm like eating and I have tears just streaming down my face <laughs> and my kids are like, 
are you okay? And I'm like, I'm totally wrapped up in the loss of a <laughs> fictional character's family right now. So I'm fine. Don't worry about me. <laughs> it's like, I just had to go to a place to make this thing like work and this is very real for me. And I'm feeling this fictional character's fictional loss at the moment. <laughs> it's weird, right? It is, no, it is weird. You, you, but it's also things that you're creating, and you just created them. Do you want to just destroy them right away too? It's it's one of those, you know, you know what you got to do for the benefit of the story, for the sake of the story, you know. But do you know what it always makes me think of? It makes me think of the last action hero with Arnold Schwarzenegger when <laughs> when when he meets his when he meets the actual Arnold Schwarzenegger. And he's like, you've brought me nothing but pain in my life. And then I'm like, fuck, there's some characters I have that would say that to me and that breaks my heart. But it's like, that's your story. <laughs> that's, that's, you know, it's like, it's not just horrible things happening for no reason. It's like that made you into the, the, the person you are as an adult now. Exactly. I, I mean, I guess I'm also dealing with horror movies a lot. I And a downer ending is kind of like a mixed bag of what your ending for your horror movie is going to be but usually doesn't end on the most upbeat and positive note oh right i mean because that's something you're going to have to tackle with almost every script right is like yeah there's a very real possibility that things might not end well for your protagonist because that's the nature of that sort of storytelling oh yeah and and thus far everything i've written they got kind of downer endings (laughs) i mean (laughs) They're very good downer endings. I will say that I'm rather proud of like the like the ramifications of said endings and like the world that and the effect it had on the world that is in those scripts. But yeah, if those characters met me in real life, they would they would not be happy. <laughs> what the fuck, Phil? <laughs> like, dude, you just you left me to the ghosts. What the hell? <laughs> <laughs> oh, you got some of ghosts? Oh, the the everyone is a ghost story. It is a um, it is an anti-bullying ghost story movie. That's kind of what it is. So it's very much like bound in the schoolyard myth and dealing with um, dealing with like being the new kid in town and getting on the wrong side of an urban legend that just so happens to be true. Oh so, shit, dude! That yeah. sounds really. That sounds really good. It's it's a very fun one. It's a very it's it's all just um very encapsulated and just a, a kid doesn't listen to the story to the rhyme about what you're not supposed to do if you see Fatty Patty in the schoolhouse after dark. So, you know. Nice. So, okay, so when you say you're doing these short scripts, like how long are they? Um well, one of my most successful ones, uh it's called Staring Contest. It was literally a page long. And it's a fantastic, I mean, it, you'd think a page would be a super makeable movie, but. You have still, that one up on a contest right now, don't you? Oh, the um, staring contest, it, it actually came in the top 10 of the uh, Killer Shorts horror screenplay competition, which is That's a awesome. huge competition. It's done by Shudder and um, Final Draft, the software, like the screenwriting software, like sponsors it. And it made the top 10 of the one page category. So that was out of about almost 600 entries, I think. And this is just a single page. It's a, it's one page, one page. So like minute long film, you know, 
It um this whole schoolyard thing with Fatty Patty you just told me it takes place in one page. Oh no 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 no. Oh okay. No, that, I, I was fucking blown itself. away. I was like, what kind of economy oh, of writing do you have, and will you oh, teach holy me? Holy crap! I win. <laughs> no, um, no um, everyone, everyone is the Fatty Patty one. Everyone is eleven pages long. That's and still really impressive, though. It's it's a nice encompassed like. It's a tight story, I guess is the right way to say it. It's it's a it's like a tight eleven minutes, like eleven pages. So, but uh, it it won the very first contest I ever entered it in. It won the entire thing, and which blew me away. So it was uh, the Hollywood Horror Fest, which is a festival that it's like a charity festival that promotes um, or raises money for the Vincent Price Museum out in California, and. I was blown away because I entered it on a whim. I was like, I'll just see if anybody likes this thing. Cause it's been sitting on a hard drive for a couple of years now. And it won best of the festival in the screenwriting category. Like out of all the screenplays, it won the best of the festival, which is crazy. Cause there's super talented folks who wrote like features. And this thing was 11 pages long and it won the entire thing. So excellent. I felt I felt pretty. I'm very pleased. That was the one based on a nightmare. I'm not. I and I'll tell you guys what the nightmare is. I love the the nightmare is great. I um the nightmare I had. I'm in a schoolhouse, like my my grade school. So like a Catholic school, 90s. I'm a child. I'm maybe eight to ten years old, and it's dark, and you can just I can feel the lips of a dead kid right next to me, like right on my ear. And the voice that came out of that kid says, if you see her, you can't run because she eats everyone. And I woke up screaming. From <laughs> so I wrote that down. And you that had became... a dream that, that a dead kid whispered that to you. Yes. Yes. Oh I did, my God, I... dude, you have twisted fucking dreams. Oh my god, it was an absolute nightmare. I mean, it, 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 I woke up screaming from it, and that was about in like 2018. I wrote that poem down. I made some adjustments for it to like actually build a story out of a nursery rhyme, almost. You know, like to figure out how can this poem be translated into something. What was the poem again? Um, if you see her, you can't run because she eats everyone. <laughs> That's fucking terrifying. <laughs> oh, if, I, I altered it. It's like, if you see her, do not run or else she'll eat everyone. Oh, my God, dude. So, <laughs> so just if you see a fatty patty, don't run. <laughs> I little, might have a fucking t- nightmare tonight just because, based <laughs> off that description. That's chilling. And I mean, the, the and of course, the, the, the script ended up being titled Everyone. So, you know, that's. God, so are any of these ones that have like won these contests and stuff, are any of them going anywhere? Well, again, a buddy out in California, he loves everyone and we are trying to figure out how to get it made. It's it's going to I mean, on what we want to do for it, you'd think 11 pages wouldn't be so bad. But I mean, we're budgeting like thirty five hundred bucks or thirty five thousand. It's not like it's not cheap. Um, but the one page one staring contest, it might be doable for less. And I wrote another one recently that I think I could probably make myself next to, you know, next to like not a huge financial burden at all. So 
It's wow. a one pager as well. So I don't, I, it's what I'm entering for the killer shorts this year. Now, where do the majority of those costs come from? I, I know nothing about like production or anything like that. The like the biggest thing is, of course, you want to. Well, shockingly, it's food. Food seems to be kind of the number one thing because, especially with low budget filmmaking, lots of people are working like free or pro bono or you know something like that. So the least you can do is feed them. Yeah, and feed them sense. well. Feed like make sure like people are happy and comfortable at least in regards to that because they're giving you their time. They're going to be working their butts off. You know, you want to at least let them know they're appreciated and they're not starving while they're doing it. But then you want to, you actually want to like pay your actors, pay the talent and equipment rental. Like if you really need some specialized equipment, I mean, you'd think, oh, just a tripod and a camera will work. No, you want lights. You want, you know, specialty riggings, those kind of things for the lights. Because, and especially being a horror film shot at night, yeah, you're going to need all kinds of crazy light setups that you just wouldn't initially think you'd need. Yeah, otherwise, your stuff just comes out way too dark and you're not seeing oh, everything yeah. unless it's create, cre- creatively lit. I guess that yeah, makes a it, lot of yeah. sense. Yeah, and uh, otherwise, it's just going to look like, you know, it's going to look cheap because in technically it would be cheap. So, you know, like, it's paying to really make the movie look look nice. And it's just hard stuff that's hard to hard to achieve. But the flip side of that is you have these one page scripts where that's literally a minute of screen time, usually one location, usually limited actors, actresses, you know, limited talent. Those kind of things you can crank out for better. You still want to put the money into them to make them look good. But it drops down from being like. Maybe you can do like a thousand, maybe, maybe like a thousand, maybe 2000 if you have a special effects requirement or something. Oh, that's cool. You know, which, which foolishly I wrote staring contest and it has a monstrous reveal at the end. That's like, well, great job, Phil. You doubled the budget, but you you don't, you don't think about that when you actually sit down and are just writing it because it's like, this is a great one pager that I could enter into this contest and then shockingly get in the top 10 of, (laughs) which like. I was pretty happy with it. <laughs> it was pretty cool. That one I'm really I'm really proud of scaring contest. I it's one I, I read often still. You I should be really dude. That's it. that's a really awesome accomplishment. I, I hope these get made because I they they sound incredible and I would love to see them. And there's there's a few people who are interested in making staring contest too. It's it's just the it all falls down to the same thing, it's just finding the money. That's all it always comes down to is you know, you just gotta find the money. So God, when you when you see some of these turds that are on Shutter and stuff like that, and you're like, "Well, they found money. Well, why can't this one that has such a better script find the money?" I'm, I I really like to. I I don't want to. I knowing as much as I know about movies, I don't even like being super harsh on stuff that maybe doesn't feel like it's as good. Because holy crap, like people put so many hours in it, like, and it it stinks sometimes that movies are kind of turn out the way they did yeah yeah i, I know it what really you mean does, and, and i'm generally know? the last one to denigrate somebody's hard work and I, and i definitely don't give things bad ratings just for the sake of being mean but, yeah um god but, I, can't, I can't remember what it was called but there was a, a shutter original that i reviewed on pcl it, they all run together at this point so i have no idea what it was or what episode it was but um it was it, you could tell it was a pandemic movie and and so it was mostly filmed 
you know, like over Zoom or or whatever the fuck. And dude, the end of this movie was so fucking terrible that it, it ruined everything else in the movie. Like the ending was so bad. Um, it had to do with like this, like this demon guy was like killing people over Skype somehow. It's like, I think I know what you're talking about. It was so terrible. It was the one with like the dead bird. The the guy was like a shut in, and he kept trying to come up with all these different like YouTube. Uh, oh no! I'm channels. thinking of a different one. Holy crap! I'm actually thinking of a different movie. And yeah, and and so then like eventually something happens where I don't know. He starts dabbling in the occult, and then the <laughs> the guy whose book he randomly gets like pushes him further into the occult, and it's like really he's like doing it to to like summon some demonic power or some shit like that. I don't know. The end of the movie just absolutely ruined it for me. Because <laughs> there's one there's one on Shutter that's about like it's just a Zoom call between like four four or five friends and like the whole point of the call is they're getting together to have like an experience with a medium. And it's only like it's only an hour long because like however long a Zoom call was that was like a free service one. Oh, <laughs> that's even funnier that they worked it's, that gimmick into it. They worked it because there's a timer up in the corner. Because it's like literally like a zoom screen. Oh, so is and this almost like functioning like a found footage type thing? Technically, yes, and it is excellent. So I haven't seen the one. I haven't seen the one you're talking about. I need to find that other. It movie. has it Michael is- Shannon in it because I remember seeing Michael Shannon in it and going, "What the fuck is he doing here?" Like it had to have been a favor for somebody because <laughs> he totally phoned in his performance and everything it was fucking bad <laughs> oh, this other one i'm uh man i need to i need to find it out find out which one it is it's excellent it's and it's like it's just a solid contained piece demonic possession stuff but it involves a medium and things going horribly wrong and it's just really really cool yeah, demonic possession storylines those are one of those ones that'll really freak me out because i i feel like it's like, uh, why fuck around and find out, you know? You know, and I, I've seen enough. Of, like, I hate, I'm one of the people that I watch The Exorcist and it doesn't affect me at all. Which is really weird because I was raised Catholic. I'm not a really good Catholic, so maybe they did something wrong. But for <laughs> me, for me, it's very much alien abduction stuff. Oh, yeah. Those ones are freaky, too. That, that, I, I, and the the one I'm currently working on where um where I'm having an issue moving on to the next page because of what happens next, it's not exactly alien abduction, but it's definitely cryptids and it gets hairy. <laughs> so uh-huh. like, so I'm, I'm I'm again feeding off the things that scare me the most, you know. Oh, oh I looked up Michael Shannon's filmography. This movie I was talking about is called Night's End. Oh, see, no, I haven't seen that one. Yeah. That's, that is certainly not the one. Yeah, get ready for a good laugh at the end of it. <laughs> and not like a fun good laugh like when you're watching like Velocipaster or something like that. I'll I'll totally. I'll totally watch. I'll watch it though. <laughs> <laughs> you're going to text me and be like, "I really liked it." And I'll be like, "Wow. <laughs> you, do, mean, you do you do like trash." <laughs> I can appreciate like, you know, lower budget stuff you know I, oh I think absolutely it's a, I, I gotta find what this one is because it's something that, <laughs> i can hear you looking it up <laughs> oh i'm looking up the, the one that i'm thinking of the the um host 
It is called Host. It is a 2020 motion picture called Host. It should be on Shutter, and <laughs> nice. It's 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 fantastic. I absolutely adore it. It, it was really good. I'm a I'm a huge sucker for uh, people are in a haunted house that the house won't let them leave um, storylines. Like I really loved the house on Haunted Hill and uh, Stephen King's Rose Red, I thought was really, really fun. See, um, have you seen uh, The Deep House? No, I've not even heard of that. That is a it is one where these um, people who explore haunted houses, they find one at the bottom of a lake. And they use scuba equipment and they go down to a house at the bottom of a lake. And claustrophobic, effective, you know, it's very much a haunted house movie at the bottom of a lake. Wow, that's freaky. Super. I mean, it's it's really like the location is kind of the big selling point of it, you know. Oh, totally. It's it's so it's very standard otherwise, but it's very effective and it scares. It's super claustrophobic. You know, it it's got a lot of really wild visuals. It's it's pretty cool. Uh, so like, what what was your like introduction to writing? Did you did you write when you were in like high school and stuff like that? I actually was not really a great English student in in high school. I um, I can certainly say that like I was very much math minded, but I wanted to write. It's like I would sit down to write something and it just wouldn't come easy. So I forced myself into journalism. I wrote for my, my high school newspaper and then I got onto the newspaper at Murray State University. Uh, it's my alma mater for undergrad. And I worked on that newspaper for four years. And in that time, it was like, I want to I want to make movies. This is what I want to do. I want to write movies. So I learned how to do it. And then I went to Miami and. Great. The best thing about the curriculum there was write your movie, make your movie. So you had to sit down, you had to write your movie. And it was it was a fantastic learning experience because I was able to shoot it. Uh, I was able to write it and I was able to shoot it. So what was the writing process like there? Did did you have like a, a peer group that you all bounced scripts off of or, or it was just, hey, you're here to make the film, not write it. We just expect you to come with a like a script. It was. It was kind of a different approach, sort of. I I feel that since then I've become far more open about like sharing my work with others. And it wasn't we were keeping it from each other. It was more like the assignment is come up with a two minute movie idea, like something that like because they don't want you using too much film. They don't want you to overwhelm yourself. Also, you know, so it's like we did like two minute ones, four to six minute ones, and then our like thesis film was like it couldn't be longer than twenty minutes. I think so. Like. Two to four pages, six to ten pages, up to twenty pages, and we would go out and do our thing. And it wasn't always us bouncing ideas off each other, but the big thing was when it came to making the movies, we all helped each other, which was the best part. It's like your class was your crew, and like every week we would just alter whose movie we were working on. That's really cool. It, and, it, and it was great because we we all had like talents that we were pretty great at. Like Brody was a great cinematographer. Um, my buddy Sean, also a fantastic cinematographer. We had editors who were just really good editors, people good with lights, people who really had sound down. and They knew about like sound recording. And we would just kind of cycle through 
and make each other's films. And as I even previously mentioned, I'm really proud of the stuff that I put out. I'm really proud of some of the other things my classmates put out. Not everything was like a winner. There's 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 one that I made that I'm not even going to say the title of because from my understanding <laughs> there's only one copy of it, and <laughs> and I'm not sharing it with anybody. <laughs> I love it. I really love that it, because I understand it so well. <laughs> yeah, dude. I mean, there was a while I, back where I cleaned out uh like a I just went through a box and I found some old notebooks in it and I started flipping through them and I found like manic poetry scribblings from 20 years ago. And I was reading through them going, Oh, this is so sad. <laughs> I tore out a few pages and I kept them under my monitor for a while. Cause I was going to share them for a laugh on an episode. And then one day in like a, uh, I don't know, a moment of clarity. I was like, wad that up and throw it in the fucking trash. <laughs> I mean, I still have a copy of that movie. It, it's a bad movie. I mean, but I made about I made about like six movies in 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 graduate school, and one of them I'm not happy with. That's not that's not a terrible ratio. I was that's just gonna right. say that's a really that's, good percentage, if you ask me. At, at least something I'm proud of, and I I had films play in film festivals then too, which you know that was really pretty cool, especially since I was just entering them on my own. You know, like I didn't have any major guidance from school, like the classes or anything, just to kind of you know. And the biggest one I got into was like the um, the London International Sci-Fi Film Festival, which is a huge festival. It is a massive film festival. It spans like two weeks. It's in it was in London, you know, huge screens. I couldn't even go to it. I couldn't afford to fly over to, to London to be there with my movie. But I made it into like the shorts category and I made it with the very first thing I ever shot on Super 16. So that was kind of cool. Um, the actor who is my lead in that, his name is Chen Tang and Chen currently is on the show warrior. That's on like showtime. Oh, sweet. And he also was in Disney's live action Mulan movie. Oh, nice. That's really cool. Chen Chen was a fan. Like here I am like with him when he's like a, a, a sophomore in college, you know, he made, and he was a fantastic actor. Is I, I stay in touch with him a fair amount. I, I get to shoot him a message every now and then tell him I'm I'm watching what he's doing. And he's doing great. Those kind of things, you know, and it's it's still one of the things I'm most proud of. I made this two minute sci fi movie and he was the he was the star and, you know, fun, fun <laughs> connections of things. That's incredible. Yeah. The, the, the closest I ever got to making a movie was when I took psychology in high school, we had a. Uh, assignment where we were covering defense mechanisms. And so there was all these different things that you could do. And one of them was like, do a short film that demonstrates like a, a psychological defense mechanism in action. And we didn't really understand the assignment. I thought that if you did the film, you had to do every defense mechanism. And so like, <laughs> I wrote out a script. I wrote like me and my friends wrote out scripts that encompassed every single one of them and then acted them all out in my backyard. And I was like offhand, like telling that story to somebody years later. And my younger sister was like, Oh, Mr. Burke still uses that in his classroom as the example. And I'm like, you're kidding me. And she's like, yeah, your movie lives on. (laughs) 
<laughs> my, I'm like, that's incredible. I'm like, we killed the assignment. <laughs> the that one, the one that the the Chen started, it was actually titled "Watching the Watchman," and uh, and it was it was a really heady, trippy thing. You know, it's it's it was cool because it's all about being late to an, uh, being being like late and sleeping through your alarm and kind of being in control of that <laughs> and you, going back to go, going back to um writing techniques writing like our style or method or whatever you'd call it that movie originated from me having a hard time coming up with a movie idea to do my two-minute film like for for the university of Miami, my first film project the first thing we were going to shoot the entire year was like set the precedent for what our year is going to be like and what filmmaker we are going to be so we can show off to our classmates, you know, those kind of things. <laughs> and I was having a dream that was going to make a perfect movie. And I was like, oh, my God, this dream is so perfect. This is like exactly what I needed to be. I just need to know a little bit more. And then my alarm went off and woke me up. <laughs> <laughs> Then I look at my phone. It's like the little bastard in this alarm woke me up and ruined everything. I was like, oh, that's a movie idea. <laughs> so that was watching The Watchmen. So I was like, oh, <laughs> shit, there you go. And that's awesome. I mean, you know, it's like I, I enjoy shorts a lot. I really enjoy short things. I, I love Stephen King's short fiction. I really love Stephen King's short stuff. Oh, I had a, a really good time reading um, some of the stories from like Nightmares and Dreamscapes when I was in high school. Yeah, Nightmares and Dreamscapes, great. Um, I I have um, everything's eventual sitting right next to my desk here. I you know he, he I keep his fiction on a skeleton skeleton crew skeleton crew. Yeah, there it is. Yeah, I I really enjoy the short run of things, and especially kind of I almost feel like I've started over. Like with the whole screenwriting thing and making movies that I feel like I'm going back to like, let's make shorts and see how it goes. You know, I'm going to write a feature one of these days. You just wait. <laughs> I'll, I'll find I'll find nice. some way to turn everyone into a feature. I, I, I think I have an idea. I can turn that those few lines of that poem into something much bigger. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Um, you know. Speaking of Stephen King, I'm reading his new book that just dropped this week. Uh, fairy tale. Oh, yeah, I'd heard about that one. Is it fun? I've heard good things. I've got the the first chapter down so far. The first chapter is fantastic. It's got a, a total Pixar start to this. Oh, weird. <laughs> where it's the the like the like the whole first chapter, it's just like, oh, my gosh. Like, it makes you empathize with this main character so much. Um, I'm, I'm, it's a it's pretty exciting idea for a story, though. This this kid is like starts helping this guy from his neighborhood and totally falls in love with this guy's dog and then comes to find out that this guy's tool shed is like a entrance into like this fantasy world and then the kid gets drawn into some adventure in this fantasy world with the dog and oh that's so cool. yeah fairy tale and tale is spelled like the tale of a dog <laughs> yes in in their most likely will be a review episode coming for this book with me and in in a certain other guest in the future. And so <laughs> it was this guest's idea to have me read it. And so I don't want to steal their thunder. <laughs> of course, I'm, I'll have to check that out, too. I, it's really good so far. Well, Nate, I I wish I could say like, as much as I love movies and 
really digesting media and those kind of things, I do tend to fall behind on things a little bit. Yeah, I I try to to read as much as I can because I I know that's a, a a valuable part of being a writer is to to read other stuff as well, especially you know with me because it's there's so many different ways that you can structure a paragraph or a sentence, and so many different writers have different styles that I I think it's really fun to read stuff as opposed to I don't I think audiobooks are great and and if that's your jam then then that's awesome. But for me it's like I I need I I I'm a big enough dork when it comes to writing like I want to see how this writer structures a sentence. I I want to see how they use punctuation and and stuff like that. Um because there's so many different ways that the English language will work with that stuff and in you know, then you got writers out there that'll not use any punctuation at all, which I think is a pretty bold fucking choice. But, um, yeah, so I, much, I just think reading's super important too. Oh, it's very much the same thing with like the screenwriting side because scripts, there are rule books for screenwriting that you can ignore every single bit of. Like, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I, um, like, how how does that go when you're writing? Like, is there a program that kind of sets up the format for you, or are you just constantly hitting enter and tab a lot and shit like that? Well, um, Final Draft is kind of the standard. It's very much like it. It kind of streamlines the whole process. I actually do have a book that tells you where the margins should be if you're using a typewriter. Like, is how into it I am. But beyond that. Every single rule for screenwriting can be broken, is broken. I find that I've been doing a lot of reading of people's scripts from like my interactions with people on Twitter. Um, the cool thing that getting some success with festivals and things is, is people realize maybe you know a little bit of what you're talking about. And you're also able to see other people who are in the competitions with you and you can swap scripts. And you can read each other's work and you can see how people handled things. And I've been doing kind of like just notes for people who are working on drafts for things. The the Killer Shorts contest, I'm coming back to it. It's a very big contest. They recently did an article about me and my script for uh, for their, their blog about it. And after that, people wanted to download my stuff and read it. And I was like, please do. But also, if you've written something, send it my way. I would love to read it. And if you want notes, I can give you notes. And I find that I'm reading a whole lot of stuff that's not produced. And a lot of it's from people who are kind of at my skill level, but I'm learning things. And I'm helping people with stuff, too. So I find I've been reading a whole lot of like spec scripts more than anything else anymore. Are you telling me that if I asked you nicely, you'd let me read these scripts that you've described to me that sound really fucking awesome? Oh my gosh, you can go on you can go on coverfly.com and find my profile and download <laughs> all of them. They are they are totally yes. out there for the world to see. So oh, you know. excellent. Okay, yeah, you and I are gonna talk offline <laughs> and, and you give me that link. And, they're, and they're I'll, put, I'll put it in the, the show. Field. I'm not worried. <laughs> I'll put it in the show notes too on this yeah, episode. So um so yeah, if if you're if you're as intrigued as I am to to read Phil's stuff, then then check the show notes for this, and and there'll be a link in there to get to this. Oh, I'm so stoked to get to read this stuff, dude. There's, there's really only two that are up right now. There, I have a few that are private because I'm still working on drafts for them. The oh, second I get they go live, I'll tell you guys. And yeah, all this stuff you can find it. It's all registered with the Writers Guild. Sweet. I'm not worried about that. There's no concerns about those. Like 
you know, and if someone steals my ideas, you can't really copyright an idea. So I'm like, you know, it's, it's, it is what it is for this industry, but for the most part, yeah, you can find people's work. It's, it's cool. It's cool as hell to see this stuff. And, you know, yeah. I was speaking of that. Can't copyright an idea. Does that always suck where you think you have something original and, and <laughs> then like you see something you're like, fuck, that was totally my idea. <laughs> it, <laughs> it's like, it, I'm going to keep doing it, but fuck, they kind of did that here too. Like, or it, it, not the whole thing, but like, just like a little, a little corner of it where you're like, ah, oh, shit. I mean, I, 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 I don't know if it's, I've mentioned it, but I've been like a guest on the leftover army monsters podcast quite a few times. I'm a huge Godzilla fan. I really love Japanese monster movies. And in college, I was writing kind of a treatment of what I would make a Godzilla film. Like if it was an American Godzilla movie. And one of the first lines in it was, in 1954, we woke something up. And not very, like, like, and, you know, then it follows, like, Godzilla has a historic history being from the 1950s and then into the modern time. He attacks San Francisco, blah, blah, blah. 2014 rolls around. Ken Watanabe, in the first trailer for the Godzilla movie that was made by Legendary Pictures, in 1954, we awakened something. <laughs> and then and then Godzilla attacks San Francisco fighting the other monsters in the movie at the end of the movie. Oh, no. <laughs> people, people, I mean, it's just people have, it, it's a weird coincidental thing that sometimes it just happens. <laughs> Dude. <laughs> sometimes. I... So. But it just shows you, you know, like the people who made that Godzilla movie, they, they cared enough to really think like yeah, a it's fan a, it's a great think. fucking so, line <laughs> yeah you know it's like <laughs> it's you know, a great I'm, opening line I, and i'm not saying that i like oh i create no nothing like, at all like that but it's kind of one of those great minds think alike especially when it's a pre-existing property uh -huh. you have kind of like this build from it you know like this is a, this is like a really good approach to it you know oh uh, well, well like i mentioned the the big fantasy book that i'm working on right now it's called the unscarred and okay. like I've been working on it since, oh my gosh, like the early 2000s. So I've been like chiseling away at this thing for like 20 years and like mostly just building the world and like coming up with like various little points in its history. And then the real challenge is then stitching all that together into a narrative because there is like several thousand years of history. It's nowhere deep as like Tolkien's, but that was definitely part of the inspiration was creating a full world with thousands of years of history and shit. Um, and I remember a long time ago, I had this idea that my heroes of the story are going to discover this dude. That's basically been meditating for like a thousand, like thousands of years, but because of various things, He's not dead, but you look at him and he looks like an ancient old fucking statue that's covered in dust and cobwebs and shit. And then you get to like season two or three of fucking Troll Hunters on Netflix. And that's how they find the wizard Merlin. And I was like, I remember watching it just being so crestfallen. Going, it's in a fucking cartoon. <laughs> but Damn it's it. in a cartoon from Guillermo del Toro's mind. Yes, so, this is true. <laughs> so, I mean, if there's ever a mind you would like to be in the company of, I, I don't think that's, a, I mean, I, I was, I blatantly said it for a long time. 
Pacific Rim was pulled from the margins of my notebooks when I was a grade schooler. The stuff that's in that movie, I was drawing that stuff. Oh, that movie is so much fun. <laughs> oh, it is such a it is such a wonderful, wonderful, ridiculous, fun sci-fi adventure, you know, that I I actually think it's more akin to a John Woo movie than anything else because it's not a romance you find with the main characters at all. It's a brotherhood. It's like a camaraderie. Yeah. And it feels very much like the killer or hard boiled in the fact that it's like these two characters are bonded. They're not in love. They're bonded. Like, you know, it's, it, it's, it is one of my favorite movies. Guillermo del Toro is a treasure and you know, it, it deserves so much better than it got. <laughs> <laughs> I loved Guillermo del Toro. Um, uh, Blade Two is one of my favorites as well. Blade Two was, you know, he, he you can tell it's a you can tell it's a Guillermo del Toro movie, and that's, <laughs> I mean, it really no, it really has like he's got a look, and good for him for taking kind of a studio sequel and putting his putting his his thumbprint on it, really leaving his mark on it. So, well, and also that first Blade movie, in my opinion, it's like a nearly perfect movie. It's so good. And how are you going to do a sequel to that? And like, they did a sequel that was very, very good, and it didn't really have any sequelitis type shit in it. It was a very different, independent storyline. Yeah. And then and they waited till the third one to absolutely shit the bed. Oh well, I mean, if you know, if uh, <laughs> if Wesley Snipes would stop doing drugs and <laughs> show up to set, and they didn't have to CG his eyes because him and the director were having a dick measuring contest. Did you hear the stories of that? That he was like passing notes and signing the notes, Blade. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All I know is like what a lunatic. The like the only person kind of holding like the two people holding it like it was like um, Jessica Biel and uh, and. Oh my gosh, Deadpool. What's his help me out? Ryan Reynolds. Right, yeah, Ryan Reynolds. They were the people holding the whole thing together. Because like they were the ones breaking the tension between just Wesley Snipes and everyone. So thank thank God for both of them. Like, you know. I did love <laughs> both of them in that movie. They're they're they are the best part of it. Without <laughs> question. They are the best thing in it. And it and it's it's not a gr- it's not good. It's it's pretty bad. But it just really kind of shows like Ryan Reynolds, you know, if it's him putting his his like, you know, his mark on on something. It's like I remember it for that for him. I remember that movie for him. <laughs> That's mostly what I remember in it, too. Like the the scene where he first literally busts into the frame and it like zooms in on a name tag. That says, Hello, my name is fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> That's fucking great. And then Blade even calls him on it later. <laughs> like, like, Hello, my name is, what the fuck is this? <laughs> That's fucking great. There are parts of that movie that I absolutely adore, but the majority of that movie is is pretty fucking terrible. Oh, I mean, you know, it, and it's just obvious that not everybody wanted to be there, and that's really sad. <laughs> you know? Right. <laughs> I mean, I, oh I, I will I will defend a movie very hardly like it can it can have failed on whatever the story, what have you, if it earnestly shows like people cared. And for a lot of movies that are not so great, you can tell people cared. They tried. I feel really bad. I last night was trying to watch Morbius. <laughs> yes, and, let's talk about Morbius. 
and I didn't I didn't finish it, and I have next to no knowledge of what happens in it. It was a chore, really, just to get into. Oh wow! But even in the earliest moments of it, I could feel it's like you know, it's like I know people people tried on this, like they put effort into it, and I and I want to give them the benefit of the doubt, and I want to I want to really sit down and watch it and like digest it and develop my own opinion beyond memes and that kind of nonsense. Yeah. But it was not easy to get into, and I'm going to have to try again. Is what it comes down to. It just, you know, it, it wasn't cutting it right then and there. Did you get far enough into the movie where where Matt Smith uh, has his little dance number in it? No, I oh, there's <laughs> a dance my, number with that's Matt my Smith. favorite will, part of the movie. I, okay, I'll watch it for that. He really chews up the scenery in it. It's it's kind of after he's gotten his powers. Spoiler. And he had previously, <laughs> you know, spent his life power. in crutches and now he's, you know, very muscular and can move around a lot. And so he's like getting ready and like prettying himself up in his apartment and dancing and he's just chewing up the scenery. And I loved that scene. Um, I, I went into that movie expecting to absolutely hate it and I didn't absolutely hate it. And so I walked out of the movie theater going, wow, this was one of those cases where my expectations were so low for this movie that in some weird way it exceeded expectations and I didn't walk <laughs> away hating the movie, but I didn't like it by any means. And I don't think it's a good movie by any means. And I think that there's so many different places where you can poke holes in the plot, but the, but I did like Matt Smith in it. So I don't know. Sue me. <laughs> Matt, Matt Smith. I, I, I don't think he's really fat. Like since leaving the doctor, like that's been, you know, He's had a very storied career since leaving Doctor Who. Yeah. Yeah, he's, he's definitely hitting his stride now with playing Damon Targaryen in House of the Dragon. And that's everything I've heard. And again, as I said, I'm behind on things. I have not watched a single episode of that. I um, I was in the camp that um, the most, like, the end of Game of Thrones was a very big disappointment. So, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't priority one to really jump into it. But I will give it a chance. I will. It's just, you know, <laughs> the, the the best part, that I, the, the thing that I can't get over is the, the full name of this show is Game of Thrones House of the Dragon. And so the acronym for that is Got Hot D. <laughs> <laughs> it's like okay, they sure do. Is, Three episodes in so far, they sure do. <laughs> I mean, I'll, you know, that actually makes it that makes it better in my eyes. I was like, <laughs> shoot, now I want to watch it more. <laughs> but God, I'm got hot D. <laughs> did, did they even like think about this shit before? <laughs> well, I mean, I, it's from different writers or at least partially different writers than Game of Thrones season eight. So I really hope to God they did. <laughs> or maybe they didn't <laughs> think about it. And it'll go better. Yeah, I'm really happy that the the Weiss and Benioff aren't involved in this because they did shit the bed. It was like you got the <clears throat> you got the pop culture world like a large portion of it eating out of the palm of your hands right now, and then you guys are going to rush through the last bit of this. It's like you could have stretched that out into like more proper seasons, and e even following the storyline they did, it's like just tell it in the proper amount of time, and it'll let these things breathe and happen. If you're going to have characters do twists like that, you got to have, you got to give it room to breathe. They can I mean, do nothing for that. <laughs> it was, it was such a strange pop culture event. Cause I, 
I'm I, I mentioned before, you know, before before our talk today that I I'm a war gamer. I like miniature war games. Um, right before the end of Game of Thrones, one of the biggest like up and coming like miniature games was a song of uh, a song of ice and fire. And it's very much built on the books, George R. R. Martin's books of uh, Game of Thrones and had a thriving community locally. Like it's just a fun game, too. But the second Game of Thrones ended, it killed that community. It just decimated it. Now, oh, I bet because people were local, like, like, hey, the, the show sucked. Why are you still playing the card game that makes us think of the thing that sucked? Oh, I mean, and this was like one of those miniature like rank and file games. So like you had just dozens of miniatures of Targaryens or, you know, no, not Targaryens. Uh, most of them were dead in this. Like, but you had dragons. I I was I ran a Lannister army. <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> nice. I ran the Lannisters. So you know? so how does that how does the wargaming stuff work? Like you have to go out and buy miniatures and then is part of the hobby that you enjoy you know, like painting the miniatures and all that stuff. Oh, totally. Totally. It's, it's a way to customize your army to make it your own and very much falling back into just my love of motion pictures and, and movies, film, all that stuff. Being able to field a fully painted army with like bases that are ornate and decorated. Like they're walking on actual ground instead of just a plastic disc. It's very cinematic. And to share that with your opponent, to where you're both like you got a table full of scenery and you have all your miniatures painted, you know, win or lose, it's going to look really good. And there's a part of like that aesthetic for it that really helps me with like miniature games that you just really can kind of just love the artistry of playing what's really just a dice game, you know, and those are, those are one of the reasons I really drawn into miniature war gaming is because it's a very cinematic thing. It's a shared experience with one other person where you're just facing off with your little monsters or robots or what have you and throwing dice around, but you get to share your art with somebody in a totally different way. So are they most all like fantasy in nature? Well, the two biggest ones, of course, it's a, it, the, the biggest one is Warhammer. Okay, I've heard of that one because yeah, I, I've and, read and, articles that like Henry Cavill's really into that. Yes, he is very, he's very much into, yeah, he's probably <laughs> one of the biggest celebrities into Warhammer itself. Um, he's my favorite celebrity, mostly because of his love of fantasy stuff. Yeah. That, and I, I saw him in an interview talk about how he loved Raymond E. Feist uh, books. And I was like, dude, you <laughs> and I could have the longest conversation about midkemia. <laughs> and the one he plays, I think he plays most, is actually Warhammer 40k, which is the sci-fi one. Because Warhammer broke into, it has two, it's got, you know, your sci-fi side of it, which is 40k, which is space marines, those kind of things, you know. Any meme you said of the god emperor and those kind of things, that's all from Warhammer 40k. <laughs> okay, nice. Then you also have the Warhammer fantasy, or as it's called now, it's like Age of Sigmar, where it's very much ogres and dragons and those kinds of things. And both of the universes are tied together by the gods that they both praise. So you got your chaos gods and stuff are they're shared between the universes almost. But I'm very much into the, uh, the fantasy side of it. I really, really like my ogres for, for Warhammer. <laughs> nice. 
<laughs> love, love me some ogres. <laughs> I've played a lot of Magic the Gathering, but I've I've never done any miniatures games. What? But I've I've justice. Done a, um. Oh no! I didn't mean to interrupt. Go ahead. Oh no! I was I I was pretty much just kind of yeah. I was. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> no worries. Well, the big thing coming out for Magic this year is they're doing Warhammer 40k decks. Oh no shit. That's cool. No, no shit. No shit. They are doing Warhammer characters and it's full decks. You buy them just at the deck is what it is because it's all Warhammer stuff. And they're all very thematic to whatever army from Warhammer it is. And yeah, you can do like you can do the um the Space Marines. You can do uh, I don't know if it's Tau, but I know the Tyranids are there, which are pretty much like the Xenomorphs of the Warhammer universe. Oh, shit. <laughs> so, you know, like it, they're. It's it's pre- it's a pretty big thing that's going on right now for it. it's you know I got I I got really excited when Magic had like the fifteen Godzilla cards in it from two years ago. Oh yeah, like, yeah, like, I remember that. They're like alternate arts of other cards, but they were Godzilla artwork, and that that was really awesome. But this Warhammer one is very big because they are full blown decks that you can just you right out of the box you have the Tyranid deck. Or the the Space Marine deck, or what have you, huh. the Blood Angels. I forget which all they are. So that's really cool. Yeah, being yeah. able to buy those pre-assembled decks is really fun. Um, my wife and I used to do that occasionally. We'd just pick up like two pre-assembled decks and then just play like that. It's like for card games, especially. I'm not a huge fan of the collectability side of things anymore. I mean, I got enough collectibles. You know, <laughs> don't, don't, <laughs> I try, don't I try to, li- I try to limit my physical media stuff as well. <laughs> don't, don't make me have to try buy tons of stuff trying to get rare things. I'll just buy the singles if I really want them, you know, <laughs> those kinds of things. Cause I bought singles for the Godzilla magic cards. I did. Cause like, yeah, that one's cool. I just want to have that. Cause the art's pretty or whatever. Uh, when I was, when, when, when we were playing magic a lot, like I was living on eBay and just constantly buying like four of this card, four of this card, and and then setting up and building <laughs> custom decks. And but the thing that sucks is that if you want to stick to like the standard play, it's like those cards are only good for a couple of years, and then they cycle oh, yeah. out and they're not in standard anymore. And so then cards that you know might have been like thirty dollars a piece are now five dollars a piece because they're just not as in demand anymore. Yeah, that's that's also one of my problems with like collectible card games is they have a shelf life anymore. You know, it's like the the stuff you really enjoy because, and also to stay competitive with it, you got to keep buying it. So, you know, it's the cycle of things. Miniature games are kind of, they're kind of like that, but let's, they aren't really collectible. There's no rarity for like your characters or something. Like maybe rarely a model might be harder to get than another one or something, but you know, it's, it's not like you have to buy, 50 booster packs to get him <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> you just gotta buy the darn model and wait for him to get in stock and then buy him that's that's all it is so yeah it, it is really cool just opening a booster pack and finding a rare card like it, it you know I, organically I, I tried out pokemon at uh gen con this past summer i never played the pokemon card game like the last experience i had with pokemon was pokemon blue on the game boy is like that's the extent of my understanding of pokemon and we played the card game as like, you know, a little booster draft or whatever. And it was a hoot. And I pulled stuff that was really pretty and cool. And 
you know, it was like, this is actually a lot of fun. I can totally see why this is popular because this is great right out of the box. This is a lot of fun. You know, so like kudos to people who have been sticking with Pokemon for a while. I've been missing out. It's a fun game. (laughs) (laughs) Who knew? Uh, Yeah, uh, my wife and I were just talking the other day about jumping back into magic. They got a new set that's dropping uh, called Dominaria United. And their their last Dominaria set, uh, her and I played a shitload of, and we really, really enjoyed that one. Um, Really good, like kind of high fantasy cards in that set. So I, I look back, I look forward to getting into that one again. And that's probably what I'll do is just pick up a couple of the pre-made decks and just jump into it that way. Um, try and not go balls deep in it again and be spending money on eBay on cards, but fuck, we'll see. I tend to get obsessed yeah. with things. I, I hear you. I'm again, I'm, I'm a Godzilla fan through and through. So I have a lot of, figures models all the movies all that stuff you know and there's always more there's always more stuff coming for that so So it's another thing that's like going back to needing a day job (laughs) not being a starving (laughs) artist because i have hobbies that i wish weren't so expensive all right (laughs) (laughs) i feel like i've done a pretty good job of reining them in lately like anymore it's like i feel like the thing that i spend money on the most is like books and it's like, all right, I, I'm not going to feel too guilty about spending money on books. Oh, yeah. For me, it's it's very much DVDs and Blu-rays because I, I've been sticking to it very much like you can have figures of the things, but physically owning what the character comes from or whatever, you know, like that's a little more important to me. I've been uh, Ultraman has had this really solid resurgence in America, and I love Ultraman. but. I've dialed back on buying toys because it's like now I can actually own the movies and I can watch the stuff. So <laughs> there you go. And I mean, there's only I, I own probably about the whoa goodness, 20 or 30 Blu-ray sets of Ultraman. And it's not all of it yet. There's Holy still more shit. Coming, so. <laughs> Ultraman holds the Guinness World Record for a television program with the most spinoffs, <laughs> which is I really cool. It. It's, it's, I mean, Star Trek had it for the longest time, but it wasn't until like 10 or 15 years ago that the Guinness people like, you know, really looked at it and were like, oh yeah, it's Ultraman all the way. (laughs) I feel like Dan Hepner's told me that fun fact before. It sounds really familiar. I know he was telling me about Ultraman once. Oh, it's, it's one of the greatest, it's one of the greatest IPs the world has ever known. It's so colorful and fun. And weird. It suits, and right? Like, it's, yeah, yeah. It's it's all it's guys in suits. It's you know, it's a uh, tokusatsu, like special effects television programs, and they all stand up. They're still very fun shows. It's you know, I if I could have have it my way, I would love to do an Ultraman for America. I would absolutely love to do Ultraman for America. <laughs> nice. I. I don't think they need that though. I even understand that. So it's like, it would just be a, like it would, it would not be, it probably fall under parody more than anything else, but I can still dream. That's what I would I want to write Ultraman. I think <laughs> what would be the Ultraman story you'd want to tell? Oh, just like definitely going back to the original, definitely making it a period piece like 1960s. 
but honestly, just have having it happen to Americans, like the monsters show up in America instead of Japan. So the alien Ultraman shows up to police said monsters in America instead of Japan, and just really embrace the embrace the nineteen sixties of the original. Like really, just embrace kind of the old timiness of it to where it's like. I always call it like optimistic science fiction. Okay. Yeah. I know what where, you mean. Where it's like the, the future that you thought that the world thought we were going to have even just 10 years into the future from like back when those shows were made, they were like, there's going to be laser weapons and those kinds of things <laughs> and high speed vehicles and, and crazy aircraft and all this. And, you know, because we got to defend our planet from monsters and other threats and space travel. You know, I, I would want to really kind of embrace that. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, like it, I, I, I wonder if it would have a hard time hitting with American audiences just because they're so used to, you know, like their MCU type stuff and shit like that. Oh, no doubt. No, it, 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 would, it would probably be an unmitigated failure. <laughs> <laughs> and that's also me recognizing that fact. It's like, you know, not everybody wants the optimistic. There's still that desire for kind of the dark and brooding reboots of things. And, you know. And but sometimes there's really lighthearted things in the MCU. It's like uh, Taika Waikiki's Thor, you know, films are substantially different than the first two Thor films. Yeah, yeah, that's that's very for sure. very much to the betterment of of those, and like to to an extent, I think. Yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. I, 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 I for the most part liked Thor: Love and Thunder. I just thought that there was parts of the adaptation that just were terribly done and parts of the adaptation that were really brilliantly done. And so it was just kind of a mix for me, and, but I'm very close to the source material on that. Like Jason Aaron's uh, Thor God of Thunder books are like some of my favorite Marvel comic books that I've ever read. And so that was something that I went into with trying to not have hyped up expectations, but it was impossible not to because just cause I have so much love for the source material. I feel that I'm rather lucky in that regard because I didn't read a bunch of Marvel comics. I was growing up. I read a lot of Dark Horse comic books and I read some image. And um, more recently, I've been a lot of IDW comics. But when I was younger, the only Marvel comic I had any major connection to was Devil Dinosaur <laughs> from, from the 70s. <laughs> like, so until they make a Devil Dinosaur movie. <laughs> I don't think I'm really that worried about like being too close to work. <laughs> you know, I just get to enjoy what I'm seeing. It's kind of nice. Devil dinosaur. That's that big T-Rex, right? Yes. It's the big red T-Rex written by um, moon boy, the ape man. Yeah. <laughs> I remember years ago, I got the kids a, a, a Marvel poster for their room that had a shitload of characters in it. And I remember that was one of the ones where like, who's this? And I'm like, I have no idea. It's a, it's a T-Rex. <laughs> It's devil. He's great. And the and I actually even read some of the newer one, Devil Dinosaur and Moon Girl. I think it's fun. You know, it's it's a fun retelling of it because let's face it, Moon Boy was not really that interesting of a character. You people are reading it for the dinosaur of all things. Come on. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know. But like, holy crap, if 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 Marvel ever got me on the phone, it's like, Phil, what do you want to write? It would be Devil Dinosaur and Moon Boy. That's that's the one I would throw out there. <laughs> Well, fuck, after 
after most of the disappointment in Jurassic World Dominion, maybe the world's ready for for Devil Dinosaur. I mean, I can't even remember what happened in Dominion because I watched Nope. <laughs> I watched Nope after it, and it just deleted my memories of all the movies I watched this year. Yeah, it was really, really big locusts. It was. It was lackluster and forgettable. Is all it I can really say. Absolutely was. It was. I, it was terrible. I laughed out loud during the big fight at the end between the the biggest scariest dinosaurs. And it's like I don't think you were supposed to be like laughing out loud when the the Wolverinosaurus <laughs> attacks the other thing, and I'm like, oh my god, this is so lame. But then there were other parts of that movie that I thought were fucking insanely like fast paced, exciting, like that T Rex chase through through whatever Italian town they were in. Yeah, like the dinosaurs in the cities and stuff were really cool. Like the whole lead up to that movie felt like we were going to get to see dinosaurs in civilization, like, you know, wrecking shit. Mm-hmm. And the end product was it was like a like a, a, a prelude or something like the first. Op- like I, I'm really having a hard time remembering the star movie. I really kind of forgot everything about it because Jordan Peele has that effect on me. But, um, <laughs> well, it's amazing, really too, does. because there was like six fucking storylines going on in Dominion. Yeah. But like it starts with them showing kind of what happened over five years in little snippets, right? Like they show some dinosaurs making a nest in a building. And yeah. Like, it's yeah, all newscast footage and stuff. Super disappointing. Show us the dinosaurs, man. Show us the dinosaurs in the city and have them deal with that. The locust thing was dumb. Oh, like, it was so dull. It was, it was just dumb. fucking dumb. And the the bad guy in that being like like the model of like Tim Cook. <laughs> and it's just like that's so it's so dumb. <laughs> it just made so many so many poor decisions in that. At some point, me and my son Aiden will get together with with semi dry chicken wayne and and we'll break down the three world movies like we did the the park ones but (laughs) (laughs) those movies got worse as they went in my opinion oh no i mean i i saw the first jurassic park five times in movie theaters the summer it came out oh that first one's the the best it is the best they ever got in any of them (laughs) it's all downhill from there i i saw that five times and prior to seeing that movie, I wanted to be a paleontologist. After that, I wanted to make movies because why dig up the dinosaurs? You just make them into movies. Oh, that was, that's so cool. And I was able to tell Michael Crichton that to his face back when I was in, in UCLA studying. Um, one of my my professor, he um, he produced Westworld, the original, the oh, original sweet. Westworld movie. And um and Michael Crichton's close personal friend of his, he came and taught our class for a day. And at the end of it, I was like, sir, just want you to know Jurassic Park made me want to make movies. Prior to that, I wanted to be a paleontologist. He goes, son, you would be amazed how many people say that to me. He's like, that movie really affected a lot of people that way. <laughs> I was like, you're damn right. It did. <laughs> and I was, I was like, he was really cool. He was he was dying at the time. Looking back on it. You know, he died uh, six months later, thereabouts. Oh wow! Yeah, he was he was dying, but he, he he still showed up, and it was you know, it was really cool. It was it was a really really cool thing to be able just to you know to thank him for making things that were really fun. 
it's always cool when you get to meet somebody who's who's done stuff that that you're a huge fan of and to just do that just be like hey i just want to say thank you so much for the amazing creative content that you've given me to enjoy over the yeah. years like the, the, we weren't hounding the guy for autographs it wasn't like that it was it's a it's a classroom situation you're not going to do that kind of crap you know that's not right or good it's not a good look i guess in that scenario but like it was really it was just really fun to be able to say like hey this this impacted me it's the reason i'm here like this point in my life so thank you for that and you know that that was pretty cool i, I mean really jurassic park had a big impact on me Oh yeah, me too. And that was one I, of those ones where uh I didn't I I saw the movie before I read the book and then I saw the movie and it made me run to the book and that was yeah, that would have been in middle school for me and so that was yeah, that's probably one of those ones that like really got me reading like actual like novels. Yeah. Yeah, cuz then by the time I was in high school I was like when I when I was a freshman in high school, I read it in like a week, and so by the time I was in high school, I was fucking like devouring books. <laughs> God, I wish I was that kind of a reader. I'm a, I'm a slow reader. I really am slow writer too. So it's you know, like, yeah. I, I've always read fast. Um, God, what was it? There was there was one of the Dune books I read that I think it was like nearly 900 pages, and I read that over like two eight-hour shifts at this really slow convenience store I was working at years ago <laughs> where you'd get like one customer for an eight-hour shift and it was like everything's already clean now I'm just going to sit out of view of the camera and read this book oh my gosh that's so funny that was, <laughs> I, I used to work I used to work in a movie store at uh, in Murray Kentucky when I was at Murray State um, and it was an independent movie store so they had it wasn't like a blockbuster or something where they had kind of like, you get these movies in and this is what you rent. We, it was called movie world and they had the criterion collection and we're talking volume one through, I think at the time, like three or 400. Oh, wow. Yeah. So it was like very curated by the owner, you know, really loved movies (laughs) and slow nights. We would read scary stories to tell in the dark out loud. Fantastic. <laughs> so like, oh, again, going back to shorter fiction, I'm always very much into short fiction. <laughs> I love so. short fiction. I love short stories there. Um, I remember the first time I read the book Fight Club, there was it might have been the foreword in the beginning that the author wrote. And he was talking about uh, I think it was I'll take this with a grain of salt because I read this like 20 plus years ago. But he was talking about he uh, he had a, a teacher that said that they should be able to get everything they needed done in a short story within seven pages. And so then for a long time, I was really captured with that idea of, OK, let's write seven page short stories. And that's actually how my book I Became Death started. It was a the first chapter of I Become Death is started off as just a short story. But oh, then that's cool. everybody who read it was like, well, what's this what's this zombie hunting team going to get up to next? And so then that's where the 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 next, I don't know, like seven chapters or so is the rest of the story. But but you can read just the first chapter all by itself. And it's kind of a, this self-contained little story. And then I went on a tear for a little while writing short stories that were 
you know, all seven pages or less. And that was really, really fun. I, I'm, I, I guess that's kind of still where I am. Cause I, I'm really trying to shoot, like crank out one pagers a lot for screenplays, especially only because doing that, you can just, you, they're filmable that way. Well, and that's incredible and I, to me too, because yeah. you have to have a certain economy of words and ideas to yeah, get something fully formed across with, you know, limiting yourself to that much space. And that's really I, impressive. I encourage anybody who wants to write movies, who wants to, who loves movies, who loves to write, try to write a one page screenplay. It is not some daunting task. Like my, my one that did really well at that killer shorts thing. I came up with it over about five minutes while I was on the can. <laughs> I, I, I wrote it. I wrote it in an hour. I edited it over a week, like making minor adjustments and tweaks. And then I entered it in that contest and it was in the top 1%. So, you know, I'm, and I'm not Mr. Mr. Hollywood, you know, big shot. I, you just got to come up with a cool idea. And in, in one pagers, they don't have to be horror movies. They don't have to be stuff like that. You can, you can make anything. And, I, I'm really into the one page kick partially because I didn't make the top three at that contest and I'm still trying. <laughs> there's, there's part of me that's, there's a little bitterness there, <laughs> but, <laughs> but beyond that, it's also because I want to be able to actually make them. And one page is cheaper because usually you got one character, one location shoot. In some cases, not even much dialogue, you know, a few sentences at most. All right. Yeah, it's all description of the action and what's going on and, you know, limited dialogue. And it's it's going to be a challenging thing, but it's a lot of fun. You know, I encourage you to do it. You should totally write one, Joe. <laughs> After you read, I, I, I don't know anything about, right? Like, read staring contest. I want you to read the one that I wrote and I want you to try because my staring contest really kind of breaks down what a script looks like. Honestly. Okay. You know, you can really well, just, that's the first thing I was going to say was, I, yeah. I don't even know how to structure yeah, <laughs> something can, like that. <laughs> you can see the structure and, you know, like totally try it. I think it would be, it's a fun exercise and I'll help you along the way. If you send it my way, I'm not even joking. It'd be fun. It would be like, you know, it's a challenge. It's a challenge to you and the listeners. <laughs> <laughs> right. You on. all can find me on Twitter. I'm at Phil with two L's underscore MD. Send me your one pagers. I will send you notes. I'm this is a very serious offer. I will totally do that. That's fucking awesome, dude. I'll totally do it. It'll be fun. I mean, I'm all here, like, you know, talking myself up. Well, I'll, I'll back it up. I'll, I'll read people's stuff. Do it. It'll be great. I mean, I'm, I'm not making money at this. I might as well put my like, I'll, I'll put my reputation where my mouth is or whatever. <laughs> That's awesome, dude. <laughs> yeah, I would I would totally do that for people. I, I do it anyways. If you catch me on Twitter and you ask me to read your stuff, yeah, I'll do it. Send it to me. I'll read it. I'll give you notes. It'll be fun. Awesome, dude. Well, um, I don't know. That that's a pretty organic place to land this. Where where what's your what's your Twitter and where can people get a how, how can people find you online again? Oh, the best way is through Twitter, and it's um at Phil. That's P H I L L underscore M D. M is in Michael. D is in Deshaun. My full name, Philip. Michael Deshaun. Uh, I'm not a medical doctor. I'm sorry. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> but 
and, and check the show notes. I'll, I'll put that link for you, for your scripts in there too. Yes, yes. I'll, and those are on like a Coverfly and Film Freeway. I think you can download both from there. I'll, I'll give you both of those. And sweet. And I would love to read your stuff, Joe. Send send me anything and everything. If you ever want notes, I'll be happy to read it. Oh, it might take dude, some time. I'm dude, I got stuff I can send you. We'll, we'll, we'll yeah. be. We'll, let's talk off air. <laughs> <laughs> but but and this is a really serious thing, listeners. I mean it. If you if you guys want to write one page screenplays, please send them to me. I'll read them. I, I would love to read them. It's it's an art form, but it's a fun art form. And it's a cool way to make movies. And if I really like your stuff, I'll tell you. And you should enter it into killer shorts and win and beat me. <laughs> <laughs> I love how passionate you are about it, dude. Wow. It's, it's it's really inspiring. It, it was I, legitimately that contest is probably one of the highlights of my life that I got that far in it for something that, you know, I I was really passionate about, but I, I did in a pretty quick turnaround. So proud of it. I'm, I'm really proud of it. <laughs> As you should be. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, I can't wait to read it. And 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 yeah, dude, we'll 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 have to exchange some stuff because that, that sounds that sounds fucking awesome. Oh, totally. I'd be happy to. I, I love I love I love sharing my work now. It's I'm not embarrassed by stuff anymore. It's, life's too short to keep your work hidden. You know, get out the world see it. I agree. Absolutely. Well, dude, this has been the best time chatting with you. I'm, I'm already looking forward to the next time I'm going to have you on. Oh, yeah. I, if, if I'm invited back, I would love to come back. I, uh, <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> I, I, feel, I feel we've scratched just a bit of the surface because I am a colossal nerd over numerous things. <laughs> Excellent. We, we, we didn't even get into like David Cronenberg and body horror movies. So oh, like, shit. No, not yet. <laughs> that's, that's the next step. fucking sweet (laughs) well dude thank you so much for coming on and thank you all so much for listening until next time this has been startcast